Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Is there a single Mets fan who's unhappy right now? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. Lindor no, checks yeah. every single box for what you would want in a franchise player. I mean, he's a well-rounded hitter. He hits for power, hits for average. He's batted leadoff. He's hit third. He's hit fourth. Uh, he can steal bases. He's an elite defensive shortstop with a couple of gold glove awards to his name. He's grown into a leader in the clubhouse. He's bilingual, so he can connect with a lot of people. And really since day one, his major league debut in Detroit in 2015, he has been polished, professional, intelligent. And I know a lot of times those words get thrown around um, pretty uh, just regularly, but with him, I mean, it really is the truth. He's 27 years old, but you'd think he's been playing in the league for 15 years. Um, he really embodies everything you would want when you're trying to decide, you know, what type of player do you want to hand over one of those mega contracts to? He, he really does check every box. About Lindor that puts this move into the conversation with the deals that brought Carter, Hernandez, and Piazza to Queens. Yeah, you're right, Amy. I mean, there's not many times you get a superstar, and all those times uh, getting Carter, Hernandez, and Piazza led to at least getting to the World Series. So Mets fans, you got to hope that the uh, same thing follows through here. Look, the guy, he's, he's by anybody's uh, acknowledgement, he's one of the best shortstops in the game, defensively and offensively. And uh, I heard uh, Hernandez on Baseball Night in New York say it reminded him, hearing that news, reminded him of the, when they, he heard about they were getting Carter. It seemed like a finishing piece at that time for that team. I, I can't, you can't go that far because I don't think this team, you can necessarily say they're ready to win a championship, but he certainly puts them in that direction and it gives them a chance to be in that, in that spot if they get to the playoffs and add a couple more pieces, I think they could be. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Wednesday, January the 13th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. And I think I'm throwing all you guys off because no Sunday shows. We did the podcast on Friday, brought to you a, a program about the new 
two new members of the Mets, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. That more of a early reactionary, and I think it was pretty spot on. I actually listened to it after. Pretty spot on to where the Mets are at from both acquiring those two players as well as where they're going to go in the market. But we're going to get more into that today. And, and why do I come to you today, middle of the week? Well, want to react. You now have heard from both Lindor and Carrasco. We've heard from Jared Porter. He was on um, various uh, uh, programs. He was on the uh, on WFAN, Moose and Maggie. I know he was also on uh, Sirius XM. He's actually, I think, on the NHL Network, if I'm not mistaken. Sandy Alderson has spoken with... Uh, Evan Roberts and Craig Carton over at The Fan, and you've also heard Sandy Alderson, if you want to check him out, he was on with John Heyman on John Heyman's podcast. So we get a really, we have a very good feel from hearing these guys, and I think they're actually pretty transparent, and they give you the information you need without being too coy. Totally different Sandy Alderson. I mean, I, I was critical of how he spoke to people his first tenure, and it was almost like lawyerly and lecturally and curt. And clearly, and we'll see how long it lasts, it's still, I believe, a honeymoon phase. Not a single game has been played. Not a single workout has happened. So nobody really knows how anything that has happened or or all the promises that have been made, all the platitudes that have been put out there, how they're going to work out. But much different, much more transparent as much as he can be and relaxed individual that... Um, that we're hearing from. So it's good to it's good to see. Maybe this is the Sandy Alderson that existed all along. Maybe he's at a point in his career where it, this is different for him. He's on his last job. And sometimes when you don't have that stress of having to prove yourself or feel you don't have to prove yourself any, anymore, that you, you just act differently. And sometimes it works out for you. So anyway, that's not what this is all about. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about where I think the Mets are going to go and, and piece together some of what we heard. But where I want to start and and react to is, look, um, these are great guys, Lindor, Carrasco, and I always say this, and I'll say this again, you really can't lose the press conference. You really can't. I mean, if you do, trouble ahead. Great personalities, say the right things, clearly enjoy and love their job, looks like they'll fit in with the New York media. Let's see the first 0 for 15 stretch, the first not hitting what runners in scoring position, the first blown game, the first stretch of bad starts. Like, that's what's really going to determine how great a guys these guys are, how much the media loves them, how they handle certain things, how they handle maybe not living up to expectations in certain, uh, especially early on. Mets fans can be brutal. I know there's probably not going to be any, if all, any fans in the ballpark. Um, so they don't have to worry about booing, and, and, and that's a good thing maybe for someone coming from a smaller market, but uh, let's not get carried away and assume we know who these guys are because we have to see them in uh, game situations and over the course of a very long marathon season. Now, I like the move. I never said I didn't like the move, and I think I got a lot of weird reaction from people on Twitter. And of course, if you're not following me, you should be at Mike Silva Media. I'm still on Twitter. I haven't been banned. Maybe, maybe my opinion on Lundor will get me banned. <laughs> Who knows? And that could be it. So, you know, anyway. Um I I guess when I put out there, let's just calm down and see. People go, Oh, what you don't like the trade? And then I said, let's not just throw an extension at the guy. And people got bananas about that. Well, we gotta sign Lindor. And then we started seeing Members of the media compare this to Gary Carter trade, Keith Hernandez trade, Mike Piazza trade. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, all right, like, let's not get carried away. This is a really good trade. This is an exciting time to cover the Mets. This is an exciting time to be a Mets fan. But I want to put things in perspective because that's what I like to do here. That's the best way to root for this team. Not to not be excited, not to think the best, not to anticipate the most, but to really put a very balanced view so that all of us could have what I believe is important in, in, in enjoying this team and understanding reality is managing expectations. And, um, you know, the questions I have here is this. You have Lindor for next year. Nothing wrong with that. You didn't give up an expensive package. We went through that on the last program. Jimenez and Rosario, I do not believe there'll be this pain that you see and this isn't Fernando Tatis Jr. that they gave up 
This isn't Trey Turner that they gave up. You know, the teams that gave up those guys probably are looking back and saying, hmm, may not even be Jared Kelnick. I don't like to put Jared Kelnick in that because we don't know who Jared Kelnick is going to be. So I don't think uh, Isaiah Green, I don't think Josh Wolf. I know I have never seen them, so how the hell do I know? Just from what you've read and what the profiles are of the prospects and what we know of Rosario and Jimenez, there's not going to be the pain. So you're going to enjoy an elite offensive, defensive player on both sides of the ball potentially for at least a year. And he could help you get to the playoffs and maybe win a championship. The pitcher, Carrasco, you have a little bit of control on him. He's every bit, if healthy, and he's had some serious injuries. We've talked about that with the leukemia. He hasn't had a full season of 30 starts since 2018, but he's every bit Zach Wheeler. He's every bit Noah Syndergaard when he's on. You've even heard from Mickey Calloway, who's called him a number one. There are some that believe now because of the presence of Carrasco that Bauer's unnecessary. Uh, I disagree, but it's probably leaning more towards the Mets looking from what you've heard, and we'll get to that in a bit, on offense than you would be in terms of adding another arm of the Bauer ilk. Probably looking more towards uh, maybe a bargain or value-driven signing. Uh, But you can't argue with either one of them. Now, like I said, do they like New York? How do they perform? And with Lindor specifically, because he's the bigger play, when you start talking about the contract that he's going to command, which I believe will be in the Manny Machado, $300 million, Bryce Harper, $300 million, leaning more towards that 7- to 10-year range. You're talking about a guy that's going to get at least 30, maybe 35, maybe pointing and trying to get more like 40. Because the up until 2018, he was a top five in terms of win shares. Player in all of baseball, playing a premium elite position, He's going to be 27, 28 years old, so he's smacking his prime. So you're going to be signing this guy into his mid-30s, a guy who needs legs. You know, I don't know how his body's going to develop over the course of 7 to 10 years. I don't like more than five-year deals. Now, you have to do that. You had to do it to get Beltron many, many years ago. Beltron was in a similar type of age situation. So you're not looking at anything less than seven years. I don't like 10-year deals, and I wonder if you just pay him more to keep him seven years because after you hit 35, now you're hitting that danger zone for middle infielders. The point is, whatever commitment the Mets make, if they make one, and it does not sound like there's an urgency. I heard Jared Porter basically said there's no urgency to have an interaction with him right now to sign a contract. You are putting... You are... Putting Lindor as your core player, you're bestowing that on him the minute he signs that deal. You're putting him as the franchise. You're making him every bit David Wright, who David Wright was in terms of his contract and his position with the team. You're making him every bit what Piazza was when they signed him to an extension. You're making him every bit. The Mets have really, those are the two examples. The Mets never signed Strawberry long term. They didn't commit to him. They did to a certain degree with Gooden back in the day, but the pitchers are different in my opinion. Actually, you're making him every bit to the team, what DeGrom is. I mean, DeGrom right now is in that ilk with with the right and everything because you know your rotation is DeGrom. You don't have as much flexibility because you have that big contract. So if you're wrong, if you're wrong on this, and you get Lindor from the last couple of years... Versus the Lindor that you expect to get, which is up until 2018. That's still a good player the last couple of years. There's nothing wrong with that player. That's a very good player, and it still justifies the trade. But you got a guy that's not a top five player. He's 26th in win shares. George Springer, who is out there and the Mets are not quite sure about, was number eight. Players like Kettle Marte, Marcus Simeon, Jose Ramirez are better. Hey, Nelson Cruz, who I talked about earlier this offseason, who's a one-dimensional offensive player, was better. You hear stories about him struggling with plate discipline and the two-strike breaking pitch. That's some feedback you've heard out of Cleveland. These are things that, I'll be honest, all good players go through, right went through issues like this. But do I want to give him the keys of the franchise? Because that's your big guy. He is going to prevent you from making other moves. You're, if he does not work out, you have a very expensive, disastrous sunk cost. Steve Cohen money or not, 
Because there is going to be a ceiling. Sandy Alderson even said that. Said that to John Heyman. You have to have discipline, and maybe more so when you have a big market payroll because you have so many options and so many shiny objects that you go to. So this decision has to be measured twice, measured three times, cut once. You are getting him in his prime, but you're also going to get him in his late prime. What version of Lindor are they getting? Is he the very good Lindor? Is he the very good or maybe overhyped Lindor? Or is he the elite Lindor? We'll see. Let him play a game. Let him play a month. Let him play half a season. You probably can't make this decision if you really want to be confident before the season starts. And he doesn't want to talk in season. Those could change if all of a sudden the Mets pluck down a big salary over the All-Star break. So my, my guess is you're not going to see him sign before opening day, nor do I think the Mets want to sign him before opening day, nor do the Mets have to. It's not like the Wilpon ownership where all of a sudden, if this, if this option dries up and you don't get him at the right cost and in the right window and kind of capture, like everything had to align, similar to DeGrom. They knew they had to kind of leverage Right time, right situation. And the Grom undersold himself. And that's probably why he's changing agents. And that's probably why he's going to opt out. And Mets are going to have to figure that out. And again, we'll see what version of the Grom he is in a couple of years. We'll see. Mets are not in that same position. They can play the market here. And I do not think the economy for baseball is going to change in 12 months. I think it'll get better. And there'll be more optimism. And a guy like this is going to have a hell of a lot more suitors than what a George Springer who, although he plays a premium position, is not looked at with the same athleticism, the same multidimensional components to his game. And, and shortstops that position, which if you could get someone of this caliber, you hold on to him. Because I think the position, catching and shortstop, you know, may start to evolve where you don't have the ability to get both of those type of skills it's either way too much offense and not enough defense or vice versa sometimes I feel especially with catcher if you're good defensively how many good defensive catchers could hit so let's just calm down and as far as getting angry because I wasn't ready to put this deal on the Hernandez Carter Piazza franchise shifting moves uh, these moves have to develop like Hernandez was not a franchise shifter when they first made that deal, when he signed with a team that nobody wanted to play for, that's when it started, and 86 cemented it. So these are lookbacks. Will this fall into that? It could. This right now is more Beltran, who is a very good player, who the, the team needed to get themselves to continue to build on very good players. Mets already were good when Beltran came in. They had Reyes, they knew they had Wright, they were working on things, they were coming off a bad year. Beltron was adding to that core. Now, he turns out he's probably better than we give him credit for, but um, I'm not sure that... I think he was part part of a era. He didn't make the era. Hernandez started that process of credibility. He signed when nobody thought a player of his caliber would sign with the Mets. Gary Carter was the missing piece and a leader to get this team over the top. Piazza came to the Mets when they were more pointing in terms of their fan Q rating, towards the Islanders than the Yankees. There was never a bigger divide. They couldn't draw fans at a high level. You, you, Mets were becoming a niche fan base. They were behind the Knicks. They were behind the Giants. They were behind the Parcells Jets. They were more becoming... There was fear. I, I remember, they, oh, am I rooting for the baseball version of the New York Islanders? It wasn't cool to be a Mets fan. You know, this is just a couple of years after 96. Everybody wanted to be a Yankee. Yankee Yankees were cool. It was the midst of their 114-win season. Piazza coming over changed it. They put them right there with the Yankees in terms of interest and invigorated the Mets fan base and invigorated a whole new generation and, and created an era. Perfect timing with the Subway Series and interleague play, and then they had the real Subway Series and the personalities and Bobby Valentine. I mean, in a way, it really... The Mets could have been in a much longer abyss. And and who knows where the team goes in history if they don't get Piazza, if Hunley never gets hurt. So I don't want to put this right now on that. Now, if the Mets go out and win three championships in seven years or five years, this guy comes in and, and is the 
one of the best players in baseball this side of the East Coast. You know, maybe Mike, Mike Trout's the West Coast version. He's the East Coast version. Then we'll look at it differently. And you'll probably say, wow, what a steal. The Indians handed over their franchise player to the Mets. And he'll go down as a Hall of Famer. And 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 but and, and that could happen because you saw that the first few years of his career. But I haven't seen that now for a couple of years. Want to throw out the pandemic season? Fine, I do that for others. But there are trends from 19. That was not a pandemic season. That was a normal season. Is the thought of being traded affecting him? Sure. Is he going to change his game? We don't know. Is he the same loosey-goosey, you know, player when he knows he has to play for a $300 million life-changing contract? You don't know. You just don't know. We have to see. So I love the move. I'm excited as the next person. Everything you hear out of Cleveland is that Mets fans are going to love this guy. I'm sure we will. I saw great things at the press conference. Same with Carrasco. But can we let them put the uniform on and play a spring training game before we change or bestow the franchise direction and give the keys to this kid? Because one video on social media about some kid getting excited about a Lindor jersey doesn't mean you make a business decision for a decade. That's cute, that's nice, but that's, you know, media narrative, that's fan narrative, that's gobbledygook. Whatever you want, gobbledygunk, whatever you want to call it. What's that? You know, I probably mispronounced it and someone will send me an email and get upset with me. I didn't mean any offense by it. Um, that's it, you know. I mean, let's. I'm, I'm not trying to put a wet blanket on here or be negative. I'm just trying to be honest because this is a big decision and I need to see Lindor. And, and, I need, and in this environment, the Mets can. Because you guys are treating him like it's Mookie Betts and Mike Trout, but he hasn't been in that class for a couple of years now. He's very good. Is he elite? We'll see. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, what's next? Have we gotten enough information from Jared Porter and Sandy Alderson over their media tour to find out what's next? And will Mets fans be happy if George Springer and or Trevor Bauer are not in Mets uniforms come pitchers and catchers, and the Mets go a different route, which is very realistic and very possible. We'll talk about that more right after this. Yogi Berra is a Yankees icon. His tenure with the Mets wasn't quite as historic. John Pessa, author of the book Yogi Berra, A Life Behind the Mask, described Yogi's final act as Mets manager on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, when he finally was fired, I think which was a relief for him, um, he knew it was coming the next day. Uh, he goes back into the Mets locker room, something I've never seen in all the years. I've been doing this for 46 years, and I've never seen anything like this, where he just goes in and, sh- you know, happy and shaking everyone's hands, thanking him for taking them to the World Series, and everyone in the locker room watched when he went up to Seaver, because Seaver had been advocating for him to be fired. And he said, listen, Tom, thanks for getting us to the World Series. I owe you a lot. Good luck in the future. And it was completely sincere, and he's walking out the, the, the locker room, and there's a scene where, you know, there's a crane pull, 30 years old, but a 10-year veteran. And, you know, he tells the writer, he goes, you know, Yogi's a a really great guy. The only thing is he's probably too nice to be a manager as he's walking out. And, um, you know, that that did, that just pluses and minuses to that style. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back, and so I had a chance to listen to Jared Porter on a couple of outlets, Sandy Alderson on a couple outlets, and I said, okay, what's next? Now, I'll start this segment by saying this. I am not going to walk away from the 2020-2021 offseason and consider it a disappointment if the Mets don't sign Bauer or Springer, even though I said at the beginning of the the offseason, I said, you have Real Muto, you have Springer, you have Bauer. The Mets really need to go out there and win two out of those three free agent contests. And if they don't win any of them, it'd be a you know a massive disappointment. Now, I did not think they were going to be able to pull off a trade of this significance of Lindor because I didn't think they had the assets, and I wasn't sure teams were just going to take a fifty cents or sixty cents or seventy five cents on the dollar deal. Now, it remains to be seen if that's what this Cleveland deal becomes. I know that there's many that think that. 
Um, you know, and Arenado and the kind of contract he has and Brian on his one-year deal, plus the kind of... I mean, I wasn't sure that you could just justify those moves because you're going to rob, in my opinion, Peter to pay Paul by taking assets off of your big league roster. Even John Heyman said to Sandy Alderson, he thought a guy like Dom Smith, I thought maybe a Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, would have to go back in any kind of deal where you got back a star of Lindor or that kind of player. Turns out that's not the case. So... Would I be disappointed? I think there's going to be some level of disappointment from the fan base and anger if a Springer goes to Toronto, if there's no Bauer and they don't do anything more than maybe some scrap heap pickups. Corey Kluber's not going to excite people. Corey Kluber's not the Cy Young Corey Kluber anymore. You could overpay for him and give him an incentive-laden contract. He's got shoulder issues. Paxton, I mean, both. I'll be okay probably more with Paxton than Kluber, but the kind of things that plague them backs and shoulders and things like that. Serious things that make you, that make it unlikely that they're going to come back. And then you go out and you sign maybe a Brad Hand, or if you can't get Brad Hand because that market got a little expensive now that Liam Liam Hendricks signed a big contract in Chicago. Do you you settle for like a Jake McGee? And if they go and they do, because Porter talked about with Maggie and Moose, Moose and Maggie, who knows, I don't care. Um, the importance of depth, you know, there's not going to be sexy signings, but they're going to be important signings. Will the fans be satisfied? I think there'll be a portion of the fan base that won't be. And I'll tell you, Juan, if things go bad and the Mets get off to a bad start and Springer's hitting the hell out of the ball up north in Canada, or Buffalo, because they're probably not going to play in Canada off the, at the start, you better believe the media is going to be all over them and question them. Just a few, just a week before the Lindor trade, with a guy from Japan that nobody knows, Sugano, nobody knows how he's going to pitch. And he wound up not even signing with anybody. It looks like the, the, the Japanese market, the Korean market, if you're an elite player that wants to make the jump, the money's not there right now, so they're going to hang out another year. Uh, in those markets and, and, and see what, what happens next offseason. That's probably smart. Because you only get one shot at that. Once you get exposed, you're not going to get that big contract if you're not who you say you are and your numbers don't translate from those markets. But we were freaking out about the Mets not being involved in that. And what, all of a sudden the Lindor-Carrasco trade changes fans and media perception? Of course not. Of course not. You know there's going to be many people upset, if Spring, especially if Springer goes to Toronto or somewhere else for a deal that in the fans' eyes, the Mets could easily afford or should have matched so don't give me this well how can you say that Springer or Bauer not signing them makes this offseason less than satisfactory there will be columns there will be debate whether it be talk radio podcasts Twitter whatever about that if the Mets don't sign one of those two guys I think they've the fans have gotten so hyped for Springer and it was so much of a fait accompli from all credible media outlets, from Buster Olney to, you know, and to a certain degree, Andy Martino over at SNY, who's thrown a little bit of cold water on that, uh, that I think that the fans will, will not revolt, maybe not because Lindor has given them a soft cushion to fall on, but they'll be upset. Now, the Mets clearly need an outfielder, and Alderson said that on the Heyman podcast he said that to Roberts and, and Carton. Keep almost saying Boomer and Carton. It's almost hard to wrap my head around the Roberts Carton uh, brand situation. So, right now, the Mets have 36 spots filled on the roster. That's what Cano on the ineligible list. They're going to need a reliever and a left handed reliever. And it sounds like they're going to try to sign Brad Hand. And I don't understand why Brad Hand's market should change because of Liam Hendricks. Because if nobody wanted him on waivers at $10 million a year, why would they want him different? You know, why is it different now? Why? Because Liam Hendricks, as a closer, set the market? If that's where this thing went, it was even more reason for somebody to pick him up at $10 million. I just don't understand that logic. I, I didn't understand it when it came out. There was a good piece on a Mets blog website. I believe it's called Mets Junkies, which I retweeted over at uh, Mike Silva Media. 
where they took some velocity readings and difference and different type of of trends with his pitch selection to indicate that maybe hand has declined slightly. And if a blog could do that with the available information out there on the internet, I'm sure that the front offices across baseball have some of that. There's a reason why he wasn't claimed because $10 million for a lever is very reasonable. Now, I understand maybe the flip side of that where they thought the market was going more south. And you saw that with a Trevor May where he you know, got about 25 30% less per year. But May wasn't a closer. Hand has been, and he's lefty. You could also, look, you could go with the Jake McGee. I'm not totally opposed to Justin Wilson either. Justin Wilson I thought was a decent pitcher. I think he's a, an injury risk too because uh, he had some some issues when he was here. Um, and his walk rate is a little bit higher. I, you, you want somebody that, let's face it, that has a very, and I've said this, the Mets bullpen it, the biggest issue with the Mets bullpen, and I'll say it again, is that, you know, quite honestly, they have way too many walks. I mean, they have guys that are walking, uh, you know, four, five, six batters per nine innings in, in, in that bullpen, and, and you can't have that. You know, Brad Hand is the exact opposite of that. Now he's had those kind of three, four walks per nine inning type of seasons, but been much better in Cleveland, uh, and 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 he's more aligned with what you're looking for. So they're going to use one of those spots on a left-handed reliever. It's pretty clear to me. Now you got three spots left. They're looking for starting pitching depth. Maybe they go out, and I don't think they're going to do the Odorizzi-Tanaka route now. I think you're going to see them go more the Paxton-Kluber. And Joel Sherman, I think, said it best. The Mets right now with their money can play this like a big market team in the scrap heap where you could give such an incentive, a strong base salary so that the players guaranteed some kind of compensation and they could justify signing for that kind of compensation. Because if they never hit any of their incentives, it's not like they're working on, you know, an austerity budget. Not that there's many austerity budgets in baseball, but if you have one or two options, you know, opportunities to to walk away with the most money that your career can can earn you, you don't want to throw away one, especially after you're coming off serious injuries like those guys, Paxton and Kluber. You don't want to throw away contract opportunity when it's in front of you at that point in your career. And then you could stuff them with incentives that basically says, you know, if, you, if you're if you earning $13 million, $10 million, $11 million, you earned it by performance on the field. So they go that route. Now you have them compete with Mats and Peterson. You know you have Syndergaard coming back. I don't like making Syndergaard a, a, a guarantee because you don't know how players are going to come back from Tommy John, but they can live with that rotation if they beef up the bullpen with an arm or two. I could live with that. So you got another starter, a reliever. Maybe they go out and they offer some minor league deals or non-roster invitees uh, for guys who are on the fringe. You know, Justin Wilson may even fall into that with this kind of economy that you're you're looking at, where players could earn a spot on the roster, and players will take it based on how realistic they think they uh, have a chance to earn a spot on that particular team's roster, whether it be the Mets or somebody else. Now with those two spots left, you know, how do you go about that? Because there was a lot of talk about, well, the Mets aren't going to really have J.D. Davis as their third baseman. Because J.D. can't play the field, and some people think he's an overrated hitter. I don't, dis- I don't agree with that. I think J.D. J.D. was one of the top, five, uh, top 15 to 20 offensive players in the second half in, base- in baseball uh, with his performance in 2019. He was a big part of the Mets playing in that second half, with their record at an 86 Mets level. Forget the competition. You want to say they had lighter competition? Maybe that's contributed to that? I'm not going to sit there and go and dive into those numbers. You still got to hit it's major league teams. You still got to hit major league pitching. He had big hits, big home runs. At times, he was playing the outfield, in left field. Where he clearly is not as comfortable. If you give J.D. Davis a position with his hard work, with his baseball IQ that I've seen. I think he'll do okay. I don't think he's going to be a great defensive third baseman. I don't think you can say with certainty because he has been awful at times in the past that he won't improve. Can he become competent and can his bat justify it? I think so. You have Luis Guillerme who seems to now be with Jimenez and Rosario gone, seems to be a bigger part of this big league roster as a backup multi-position 
hedge your bet with an injury. You know, now if, if, if Lindor is out for three days, you put Guillaume at short. Guillaume has been very good since the second half of 2019. He's hit for high average. He's gotten on base. We know he's good defensively. It looks like he could play three positions in that infield. You could even maybe spell him at third with Guillaume in tight games or even platoon him. He'll do kind of a lefty-righty platoon there and play that out. It's okay to have... You don't have to have a star at every position. Everyone's, oh, the Mets go like a Chris Bryant. Why would the Cubs do Chris Bryant? Are they going to take Familia's contract back? They're going to just give the Mets a gift? At this point, it, you, unless you really don't have the money to pay him, and and I can't I can't believe the Cubs can't at least pay him till the All Star break. Uh, just take the draft pick, write it out. Who knows what you get at the trade deadline as teams materialize? And now, even in this goofy sixty game season, you saw teams go for it. And maybe there is going to be a push now to go for it, more so within reason, when teams who haven't won in a while, and your traditional teams that have been at the top of the the the, the contender list, like Cleveland, is taking a step back. Yankees not going out there and spending. You know, you might see teams like, eh, the Tampa Bay Rays almost won it. Why can't I? All I need is to get a Chris Bryant in my lineup. So I don't, I don't think that that's really a need. I think the need clearly, and it's been said by Sandy Alderson, almost with flashing lights is the outfield. He says, right now, we don't like Dom Smith in the outfield. We may have to put him there. And Don, he was clear, Dom Smith's not going anywhere. We may have to put him there because we may not have a DH. And he had no feel of DH, which is so absurd. Yeah, I have no idea. I'm not going to make this pro- this program about that right now. But it's so clear that they're doing that to suppress salaries. Because the one rule out of all the stupidity that you see since this pandemic with off-the-field, on-the-field rules for health and safety, which is more about managing their their bottom line, Knowing how hard it is to get good pitching and how you want to reduce the time of games, not to have a DH, which is going to lead to more pitching changes, especially with teams that don't have five starters, especially with teams that don't have, uh, they're using openers, is beyond me, but I'm getting off track here. So they don't know if they, they know they want Dom Smith on the roster. They don't know, they don't like him in the outfield. By the way, Pete Alonso better smarten up because he's got competition. Because if he goes out there and he's hitting 165 in the first month of the season, he's going to be on the bench or he he probably has options. He may get sent down. Don't put that because he can't play any other position without a DH. Or he'll become a guy that'll just play against lefties. That, that 53 home run season's in the past. So just keep that in mind. You know, Dom Smith is put, and this is a good thing. Competition is a good thing. I love Pete. I think Pete's a team leader. I think his attitude is infectious. But that's yesterday's news. If you can't look back, you have to look forward. So they're looking for the outfield solution. It just makes sense for Springer. Now, getting Springer and the ramifications of Conforto, that's a whole other debate. Uh, I think the Mets are what they're basically saying, and Jared Porter used the term leverage. The Mets feel right now that they could easily fill in with value-driven individuals. What's so bad about... Now, last year they made combined $13 million. But what's so bad about a Jackie Bradley Jr., Jake Marisnik platoon in center, moving Nimmo to left? Or do you sit back and do you wait to see if Marcelo Zuno doesn't get a lot of offers and wants to sign for a one-year pillow contract? You slide him in left and leave Nimmo in center. If Springer doesn't really you know, come back down to earth, if that bidding gets crazy. I think Springer's waiting to see who's going to blink. And Sandy said something very interesting. He said teams are calling now to make sure that their agents, at least, agents are calling teams, that the Mets are still on the, in the mix. So they're they're sitting back and they're waiting and they're waiting. And they're waiting to see, will the Mets blow the number out of the water? And what's bad news for the player and the agent is that you have an inexperienced owner that they're hoping is going to get an itchy trigger finger. Now he already filled that itch with Lindor. But you have an experienced baseball executive in Alderson who is so conservative to an obnoxious level and outwardly said, you know, we have to be disciplined even with a big market budget, that he's not afraid. And now he can play that luxury and say, look, I'm comfortable if this doesn't come to fruition with going with plan B. And here it is January 13th today. We're a little over a month from Valentine's Day. 
And by all accounts, you're going to have a normal spring training and a 162-game season. And that means the clock's getting short. Does a player want to be? And I said, I know I said it last week. Players are in charge of their own health and, and development more so than ever. Guys like Springer and Bauer could sign March 1st. I know in the, you know, uh, you've seen players, you know, Boris Klein sometimes wait until first half of the season to sign. It was Stephen Drew at one point did that. Uh, you know, there's there's been guys, there's been guys that have done that, pitchers who sign in March. So I could see that happening. But there's a lot of anxiety with some of these other secondary options where teams aren't going to wait to not have any you're not going to have if you don't want to have Dom Smith and left and there's a DH you're going to go out and get you some get yourself somebody soon you're not going to wait for March 1st for Springer you can't go to spring training not saying this is my plan or you can't go to spring training saying I'm waiting for Springer so this is going to develop over the next couple of weeks heck maybe by the time this comes out something happened and we have to blow up this whole podcast but what's next for the Mets next for the Mets is playing the market being very strategic with value-driven options. You all went crazy when I said Jackie Bradley Jr. and Jake Marisnik, but a version of that, because I don't know if those guys will make $13 million combined in, in, a, in a post-pandemic economy. Because that's pretty expensive. When you start to think about Springer, who's probably going to be about $25 million or so a year, if you're paying thirteen for a defensive, eh, you know, league average, less than league average offense but defensive upgrade in center and moving him to the left. You might as well just go the extra, you know, yards, 10 yards and, and get the a guy that I told you earlier, if you want to use advanced metrics and wins above replacement, top 10 player last couple of years, better than Lindor from the area, from Connecticut, a lot of things aligned, stars aligned, comes from a winning organization, whether you like Houston or not, or like the whole sign stealing or not, winning organization. Been in the big dance. He's, Played well in the postseason. There's a value to that. Now, Porter said he was going to focus on run prevention and depth. But that doesn't mean he's going to necessarily settle for Marisnik and Jackie Bradley Jr. if the opportunity presents itself for Springer. But I think that if you don't see them go and get a Ozuna or Springer, and there's been no indication they're even in on Ozuna, be more Springer. You're going to see them focus on players that are more defensive-oriented, and they'll sacrifice the offense. Right now, they have a top-five offense. I'd like them to get greedy. And I think that's what ties into the whole Mets fans being unhappy if they don't sign Springer. I think they feel like now's the time to be to put the hammer down and really come in this in a big way. And truthfully, I don't blame them. And if I'm Steve Cohen, I turn to Sandy and say, we have a chance to really take this brand and leverage this brand in a way that we this, this organization has failed to do for 35 years. And is the luxury tax really something going a little bit over with his money? Other than a political play, I know you have to look at signing Conforto, and you may want to sign Syndergaard, and you have Cano coming back. But... With the kind of team you have now in terms of the financial team and the guys you have in the front office, you could probably figure out value-driven situations that you could make up margins in the roster. Look, your top 8 to 10 players are going to make up a large majority of your of your payroll. You have to have a farm system. You have to find value-driven individuals to round out your bench. The old days, when I remember Mike Francesa back in the old days, says, well, you can't have a real good team unless you... You overpay to have guys on the bench. I remember back then he wanted, you know, ten to fifteen million dollars of salary, which was a lot back then for a bench. And I used to roll my eyes and say, "Well, you, no, you don't. You have to find guys that are quality bench players. You don't have to have Kenny Lofton coming off the bench because you want to have excess. You know, especially now, then you'll have a four hundred million dollar payroll, and that's silly. That's forget about luxury tax. Now you're getting to silly land." So the Mets have a chance to go big and think big and really be the big big fish, the big guy on the block. And Jackie Bradley Jr., Jake Marisnik, and some of these secondary things. Now, is Brad Hand a, a platoon of Jackie Bradley Jr. and Marisnik and then maybe some kind of 
you know, other depth piece signing. Maybe, you know, you're looking at uh, Paxton. Is that going to do it for Mets fans? I, I think it's okay. And I'm not going to, and look, I'm not going to change my opinion on the Mets in 2021 with it. But from a Q rating, from a standpoint of what the Mets fans are expecting, and if it goes bad, it's not good. It's, it's actually disastrous. Let's put it this way. If that's the direction they go, and they're still good, but they fall short, and George Springer is a top 5, 8, 9, 10, whatever player somewhere in baseball in 2021, oh, the Mets are going to be excoriated. excoriated. Steve Cohen is going to be excoriated. And then we'll see his Twitter responses at that point. I hate to sound like that, but it's true. I really do. It's true. And I and I and I don't really even talk about Bauer because unless he really I don't I don't see that happening now with Carrasco. If you got guys like Mickey Calloway saying Carrasco could be number one, I mean the Mets are in pretty good shape. And look, you want to get greedy and really get a stacked rotation. I think if you get Bauer, you're pretty much saying you know Syndergaard is gone, and you may have to. Especially if he goes into that thirty-something million dollar, thirty-five million dollar range, you may risk Degrom down the road. Which you know, these you don't know what Degrom's going to be as he gets older. I know, the, and we worry about Conforto, but guys, just I think it's about length of contract. You could figure out getting guys in long term. It's I think that's why when you start talking seven to ten, I'll go back to the initial point on this program. When you start getting to seven to ten year commitments, like the Phillies have done with Bryce Harper and the Padres have with Machado, that's where I get concerned because that's what'll lock you up later in the in in your cycle with a team. Where now you, you you can't afford one of these guys. You can't bring in that player, so you have to be right. That's why I like position players at five years and pitchers at three years. But obviously, that doesn't always mean you get the best players at the position. I've said that. You could be opportunistic in markets. If a player wants to go shorter term and re-engage in this market, and I don't, don't be surprised. And and I want to wrap up here and take a quick break and then wrap up. But don't be surprised that that's on the table with agents and players because CBA uncertainty, pandemic economy uncertainty. Sandy even said the point to John Heyman that I that I talked about. I mean, you have to factor in no fans in the stands. That's a revenue situation. That has to be factored into a team's decision making. Just because the team's worth $3 billion or $2.5 billion doesn't mean they have that cash flow coming in. You could live in a million dollar home, that doesn't mean you have a million dollars to spend on everything. Just in the case that you have a certain type of life, lifestyle or you have the ability to generate a certain type of lifestyle, it doesn't mean you have the cash flow. It doesn't mean you could just drop a dime uh, and write a check tomorrow. And that's how fans act like with these team valuations, as if it has anything to do. Now, it means you have opportunity in the future. But right now, you don't know when fans are going to be back in those stands. And even if everything opens up, you think 40,000 people are going to show up? They're going to wait. They're going to go into the shallow end of the pool and then come out when they're ready, which could be a little bit. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Matt Harvey was a polarizing force during his time with the Mets. Jared Diamond, national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal, shared his experience covering the Dark Knight on the Talking Mets podcast. Well, covering him in 2013 was absolutely remarkable. It was so incredible. And I think like like anyone else who saw him that year, you thought you were looking at, you know, the next Nolan Ryan, a guy that was going to be around for a long time and be a perennial all-star and, and establish himself as one of the best pitchers in baseball, the best pitchers of his generation. So it just was, it makes me sad looking back what happened to him. And now that doesn't mean that it wasn't his fault. He did a lot of things wrong. He made a lot of mistakes. And I have no doubt that he would acknowledge that uh, now looking back. Uh, This was a tragedy that was certainly self-imposed in many ways with some bad decision-making by Matt Harvey, but he also had a lot of pressure put on him by the media, by fans, uh, it's just sort of a sad story. And it's a shame that he will never be the player he could have been, the player perhaps he had a chance to be. And it's just another one of those baseball stories, those sort of what could have been stories. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com.
All right, we'll wrap up. Final thoughts. I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of this podcast, which turned into be a regular almost hour long and not really a short like maybe Friday's was. But I think we're set up now well for the rest of the off season. I'm going to try to get back on the Sunday schedule. I know we have to do our Hall of Fame show, which we do every year, and have a debate and discussion about who I believe should be elected into the Hall of Fame. And hopefully this year we can get a writer on and get their perspective. I'm, I have an idea of somebody, and I'll keep it to myself now, but I'm I'm planning on reaching out to them and, and have a fun debate because I know that's coming up in the next two weeks. Obviously, we'll continue to look at the free agent market and see what uh, is, is happening there because, uh, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, it'll be very, very interesting to uh, to see what... what tr- I, I'm really curious to see not just what the Mets do, what the fans really believe and what their expectations are is acceptable. I really believe that to be the the case. And that's... I, I know that it was... I was met with such you know, uh, anger. Well, how can you say that, you know, you sound crazy saying that it's not acceptable signing Springer or Bauer. Well, you, the, the the bar has been raised. Yeah, if you're comparing it to, what, the, the old ownership, this was this offseason's done. You go, you get a few uh, value-driven uh, players, and away you go, and you'd be happy, and you'd be applauding the Wilpons. That's not, that's not the team anymore. That's not what this is all about. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens uh, and how the fans react to whatever Jared Porter and Sandy Alderson and company, Zach Scott, how they round out this team in the offseason. Because you're going to see a focus on defense. You're going to see them use analytics and value-driven metrics to get guys in that may be non-roster invitees so they could get the kind of depth. They talked about depth. And um, if you can't pick it, the days of them bringing in somebody who – is just a stick, unless it's for a DH spot, which they don't need right now. They don't even know if they need it. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's going to be under the Jared Porter regime here. I think you're going to see a much more well-rounded uh, player being looked at. And I know he specifically said defense is important. Run prevention is the word they use. As part of wrapping up here, I want to send a few thank yous. You know, I always ask you guys to leave a review, good, bad, or indifferent. I do read the reviews on Apple Podcasts. I do read the email. Sometimes I don't get back as quickly as I'd like, and I'm going to try to improve on that in 2021. Uh, But I read everything, and I take everything seriously. I think there's plenty of unfair reviews left on Apple. I'll be honest that I think you could – I think it it reeks of people who are trying to hurt me and encourage people not to listen, and that's okay. It's a free country, and I'm not going to – deny you that right. Uh, I I wish that you'd spend your time more productively and be honest about the kind of show I have and how I'm always transparent and honest about who I am. And I try to bridge two different worlds between fan world and media world and try to piece it together where we can intellectually look at the team. And, you know, I think that doesn't always sit well with people because sometimes the way I talk or criticize or things I say may be pokes in the eye. But my intentions are always to bring together a, a really fun product that you can enjoy as mental bubblegum. You know, my f- late friend, Dr. Mark Filippi, used to say, oh, your show's duck- mental bubblegum. Well, I'll take it, right? I'll take it. So may he rest in peace over there. So, um, so I want to thank some really fun supporters, good supporters of the show, and I'm going to try to do this more often. Uh, but our friend over on Twitter, Clay Davis, who has that Moniker from the the great show The Wire, one of my favorite HBO shows. At Clay underscore Senator, uh, thank you for being a big supporter. And I know he's been recovering from COVID, so hopefully he's feeling better. And hopefully, listening to this show helped you, you know, on those nights where you weren't feeling so up to your, your yourself. And hopefully, you're doing better. And I'm looking forward to more interaction and more fun throughout the 2021 baseball season. I also was on uh, Apple Podcasts. I saw some new reviews, and I if I if I say your handle wrong, I apologize. But you could go and interact with me and send me an email, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. So send me an email if I by accident mispronounce. But uh, Israel HT wrote uh, with so many Mets podcasts, it's often hard to find the really good one. This one is it. Real insight, informative, and fun. Thank you. Well, you know what? That's about as good of a review as I could possibly ask for. Thank you so much. 
and it's it's after a couple of I thought unfair reviews. Uh, in particular, I have one person that seems to change their review to get to the top of the list. Same review, just change the date. So if that's what gets you going, so be it. Uh, also, Tommy uh, uh, G G D D U H X, great podcast. The mic does a great job. Happy to discover the right right before the season and can't wait to listen all year new new fans uh uh always appreciate and then there's uh, a guy jersey joe metz mike just a moment to give you some praise you have the best the most professional radio quality broadcast in the podcast world truly incredible i love the way you call it a program because that's what it truly is i never miss an episode and i never will keep it up jersey joe thank you and that means a lot because i i've worked hard to improve on this because i can tell you i've gone back over 15 years of doing this in various formats, radio, WGBB, ESPN Champions Radio, and then obviously using versions of software, and the technology is so much better today than it ever has been, that I know I haven't always put out the best quality, and I, I'm working on a, on a budget here, guys. I don't have radio-level equipment. I think we're getting there in terms of you could afford as close to radio-level, and I don't have a producer, and I'm not an expert at either cutting audio or doing commercials and I'm not. This was, you know, this is not my primary thing. I do this because I love doing it, and I feel an obligation to give you because you're dedicating your time, the best possible product where you walk away and say, you didn't just waste 30, 40, 45, 60 minutes of my time. I may not agree with you. I may not like you 100%, Mike. I may not think you're the best guy in the world. That I wouldn't, you know. Hopefully, you like to have a beer and we could disagree on things and still be friends. But if even if that's not the case, I hope that you could say, you know what, that guy put the effort in to make my time worth it. And hopefully you come back. So I want to thank those three guys. I'm going to try to continue to go through some, you know, and I'll address, maybe I'll address some of the negative reviews as a way to go out. Maybe that's a way to kind of interact with you guys because it's not easy anymore to really have, and and, and I don't necessarily believe in the call-in, waiting to call in because you don't know what you're going to get. Then you get crank calls and and it's hard to, in 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 a world where we're more on demand, and and streaming, you know, people don't want to sit and wait for a time to listen to a radio show. They want to do it in the course of their day. So getting call-ins is tough. But maybe this is a way, you know, you send me an email, you know, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. Give me a review on Apple, Twitter, whatever. Maybe I could get you a shout-out and I could get some good. And maybe I could explain if you don't like something I did. Maybe I could explain it, but I mean, ultimately, you guys are here to listen to my opinion on the Mets and what's going on, so I don't think you want to hear people and me respond to people that have criticisms, but I think it's a way to wrap up the show and and maybe explain things and maybe make your view, you know, your listening experience a little bit better. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast pretty soon. Hopefully back on a Sunday schedule. But the Mets, of course, will be making some news. So not going to complain about that. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.